So as we kick things off, would you join me uh, in a prayer? Um, God, it's, it's so cool how you pursue us, how you seek us. Uh, in so many different ways, uh, nothing stops you from reaching out and having your goodness run after us as we just sang. Um, I don't think any of us is here to check a box. Uh, none of us wants to be religious and go through a ritual. We want to connect with you. We want a word from you. We want your guidance and we want your grace. And that's why I'm so grateful that we're gathered here today. So please bless all of us. Speak to us in a unique way with just that word that we needed to hear in this moment, that we can know you, uh, that we could receive you, uh, that we could pursue you and live for you the rest of the days of our lives. We pray these things in the powerful name of your son, Jesus, and God's people said, amen. Uh, Have you ever heard the story about the pastor who ended up in a dumpster? Uh, Years ago, I told a story. Some of you might recognize it. Um, True story, there was a pastor once who had a a really deep and long-lasting personal struggle with pornography. And he gave in, he said he was going to go back, and he he gave in, he said he was all done with it, and and he gave in until one day, he was just done. He he was sick of his sin, he was ashamed of it, so he took everything that he had, all the magazines, all the videos, and he dragged them all down to this dumpster with these big tall walls outside of his place. He took the whole stash, and he got rid of his sin. Uh, except uh, that part of his heart that is not good and not godly and not very pastor-like wasn't so sure if it wanted to let go. And so the pastor, to his shame, he pulled himself up, he crawled up over that dumpster to get his stuff back. But as he was crawling over the edge, he slipped. And as he slipped, he fell. And as he fell and tried to catch himself, he broke his arm in the bottom of the dumpster. actually happened which meant because of the tall walls, he was unable to pull himself up and get himself out, which meant, if you're following the logic, he had to pull the phone out of his pocket, he had to call his wife, who would come and find her husband and her pastor surrounded by physical and moral filth in the bottom of a dumpster. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the picture that you will see if you look up in a dictionary the phrase, rock bottom. Rock bottom is that moment, you've heard that phrase before, when it's not just bad, it was bad, and then it got worse, and then just when you thought it was as bad as it could get, then it got even worse than that. It's a rock bottom moment. And I wanted to tell you that story because I think as much as we wish moments like that wouldn't happen, to most of us, even if we're church-going people, we end up in that rock bottom place, flat on our back, uh, desperate, embarrassed, maybe ashamed, um, I think of my own addiction in the past to pornography that some of you know about. And even to this day, so many years later, there's just, there's just like snippets of that where I, sh- I shake my head and think, how did that happen? How did I, a guy who grew up with God and with grace and with a good family and a good church, how did I end up flat on my back in the midst of an addiction? I mean, you can read your Bible just like I did. And you can be in a pew or a church chair every Sunday just like I did. And you, you can end up in life in those spots where you just never envisioned that you would be. Have you been there? Or do you love someone who is there? Yeah, for some people, rock bottom hits because of a substance. Right? It's like you're just having fun, just hanging out with your friends, you're just partying until one thing leads to another 
And having some drinks turns to liquor, and liquor turns to weed, and weed turns to something stronger until you're using something that years ago you said you would never touch. Uh, Maybe because it took the life of someone you love. Maybe you find yourself in that first AA or NA meeting, and you're saying your name and having to admit out loud for the first time that you are unable to control yourself in the presence of that substance. Maybe it's when you've been drinking and driving and you see the red and blue lights in the rear view. And now it's official and now someone could find it if they looked online and your reputation has changed forever. You, you hit rock bottom. More, maybe it's when your mom or your dad is literally crying because they're, they're so heartbroken for where your life has ended up. They didn't raise you this way and yet you ended up that way. It's rock bottom. Rock bottom happens to other people because of sexual choices. You know, maybe you were the church girl who was going to do things the church way. You're going to wait until you met the guy and you're going to be self-controlled until the day came and you could celebrate what God meant to be celebrated and it just didn't work out that way. Um, maybe you slipped into temptation. Maybe you, you drank too much and woke up in the arms of someone whose name you didn't even know. And that's rock bottom. When you're at the doctor taking a test to see if you have a disease, that can feel like rock bottom. Uh, when you wake up in a, in a jail cell because of the path you've been on, uh, that's rock bottom. When you thought the relationship was going to make it and then she said she didn't love you anymore, or when you're literally Googling divorce lawyers in my area and you thought you were never going to repeat the relationship patterns of your parents and your family tree. I know people, it's been finances, successful paying the bills, doing things until the rug gets pulled out, a recession or inflation, and now you're not just behind, you're broke. And you literally need help from the government and the people that love you. And how humbling when you're asking for money when you're a full-grown adult. Rock bottom happens to some people with mental health. And some of us worry and some of us get down and some of us battle depression, but sometimes you just find yourself in a spot that's so dark and so hopeless, you just can't imagine how it would get worse than it already is. There's a spiritual version of rock bottom too. You know, you actually start reading the Bible maybe for the first time and understanding what it means to follow Jesus. And you always thought you were kind of a good person because you never murdered anyone or never had legal issues, but then you realize what it is to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself and what the commandments actually mean in their fullness and you realize, wow, I'm, I haven't done any of this. It can happen to you financially or spiritually or sexually or physically or emotionally. In a thousand different ways, there are those moments where we just thought, wow, this is my life. I, I did not want to be here. I didn't plan to be here, but I am here And here's the tricky part. Uh, When you hit bottom, it is perhaps harder than ever to reach out to the one who is most high. The most high, holy, good God. I mean, we know that he's above us, but when you are knocked like flat on your back, he feels maybe further than he has ever been and, and you wonder if it's even worth it, if you even can reach out to a God Who's that good? 
Uh, let me demonstrate it this way. When you're on your feet, when life's going well, when you're, when you're killing it at work or at school, you're checking the boxes, you're accomplishing your goals, you're, you're on your feet. I mean, you know that God is above you. He's bigger and he's better than you, but you, know, you feel just a little bit close to him that you can reach out and listen to your prayers. You're a child of God. You don't have to be afraid. Yeah, but then you hit bottom. Maybe something happens and life kind of knocks you to your knees. And God is still in the same spot, but you're lower than you've been before and reaching out to him just feels like a little bit further away. And then just when you thought this was bad, then something knocks even flat down and the same God feels so distant. And then maybe in, in that painful place, you, you make a choice that you regret. You, you turn to things to cope and to self-medicate and you end up you know, flat on your back in the fetal position and, and God, who has not moved, just feels so much further than he used to be. In those moments when you feel so far from God, one of the hardest things to do, as this happened, is to cry out to God. I mean, especially if it was your own choices in a relationship or with your finances or with a substance that led you to that place. I mean, if, if God is so good and so holy and it's your fault that you're there, why would he listen to a person who didn't learn their lesson the first time? Why would he look down on someone who's so far beneath him and listen to their cry. I remember moments like that where I fell back into my addiction and sin and just thought, why would, why would God want to hear from me? I knew better. I, I didn't do better. God, God would block my prayer and my call. Why would he listen to the cry of someone in such a desperate, rock-bottom situation? Now, I don't know how much of that you can relate to. If, if you can't, praise Jesus. But if you've been there or are there or know someone who is there, um, there's a simple thing I want to teach you from the book of Jonah today. I'm going to keep it super streamlined today. It's just one thing that I find throughout the Bible and especially in Jonah chapter 2. Write this down if there's a pen in your hand. I want you, I, I need you, God needs you to know this, that our God responds to rock bottom prayers. God is infinitely good. And part of his infinite goodness is when we mess up, when it's our fault, when we feel further from him than we ever have before, our God responds to rock-bottom prayers. That's what I want to prove to you when I open this book to Jonah chapter 2. Now, before I read Jonah chapter 2, some of you uh, don't remember or haven't heard Jonah chapter 1. Here's the 32nd version. Uh, about 2,700, 2,800 years ago, there was this guy named Jonah. He was supposed to be a prophet of God who followed the word of God. But when the word of God sent him 500 miles to preach to the ancient people of Assyria, Jonah ran in the opposite direction. He was rebellious. He was self-righteous. He was a little bit racist. He got mad at God. And so he did a bad thing to God. He ran from his call. But because God loves those people, <laughs> he didn't give up on Jonah. He used his almighty power to send a wind which stirred up a storm on the Mediterranean Sea. Jonah was tossed overboard into the sea where God sent a giant fish to swallow him up. That's where chapter 1 ended. Which means this is how chapter 2 of the book of Jonah begins. Verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. All right, quick pause. Show of hands, how many of you had to go to science class when you were in school? Yes? 
If you're not raising your hands, what school did you go to, right? Uh, right. I mean, some of us, if we read this, you know, we're thinking, whoa, whoa wait. wait. Is this not like some you know, made-up parable, some Bible fairy tale? Pastor, are you, are you say, is the Bible saying that Jonah was a literal human being who was swallowed by a literal fish? Doesn't that seem like something cartoony and, and made up or CGI? You believe that happened? And I would say, yes, I believe that happened. Um, Jesus quoted this story like it actually happened. And maybe you say, okay. Come on. I mean, that's why it's hard to believe the Bible. This stuff like this actually happened. If you're a little skeptical about the fact that this actually happened, I would encourage you when you get home, uh, you know, open up the internet, go to YouTube, and just type whale swallows human. And you will be very entertained for a little bit. <laughs> Have you heard these stories in recent years? Um, there, there were these two uh, ladies kayaking. I think this was in California a couple years back. And there's people on paddle boards. It's a beautiful California day. Seagulls are flying above until this giant whale comes up under the kayak, opens his gaping jaws, and grabs onto the whole thing. Spits them out right away. <laughs> My favorite is the guy who's like on a paddle board right next to him. Like, oh no, this could be very bad. I mean, you forget how, how big a whale can be. You know, easily fit a human inside of his mouth. Or a couple years ago, even better, there was this guy diving for a lobster, I think off the east coast of the United States, and suddenly everything went dark for 30 seconds. A whale, which was feeding on the bottom, had swallowed him up. The whale sensed that something was wrong. 30 seconds later, came to the surface, and this dude's buddy saw him. Blah. The whale vomited him out, and he survived. So, yeah, there are big fish. I've Googled it. There are whales that live in the Mediterranean Sea. So, is it possible that a whale could swallow a human being? Without a doubt. Uh, but maybe some of you would push back and say, okay, you know, it's different being in a whale's mouth for a half a minute between, but not surviving in a whale for three days and three nights. Like the Bible, how is that possible? That's a good scientific question. You know, how do you not suffocate inside of a whale for 72 hours? How are you not digested by its juices? Great question. Here's a simple answer. Ready for it? God. God. <laughs> so the Bible is a book about God. We heard that last week. And God is actually so big and so powerful that even though he loves science, he created a world with order and rules, God is not bound by science. Right? Jesus, God in human flesh, 2,000 years ago when he was on earth, he walked on water. It's not because he figured out some like buoyancy hack. It's because it's he was God. He, he didn't have to follow the regular rules of the natural world. And that's exactly What's happening here? Is there a natural explanation for Jonah being inside the belly of a big fish or a whale? No, there isn't. But the Bible's not just a natural book. It's a book about God who can do whatever he wants. He can raise his son from the dead on the third day, which means it's pretty easy for him to keep a dude alive for three days and three nights inside the belly of a big fish. So, don't be bothered by your scientific questions. This is a book, yes, about science, but also about the supernatural, about a God who can do all things. So Jonah, a real guy inside a real fish, is alive and breathing. And here, in verse 2, is what he is praying. Jonah said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. I told you. Does God respond to rock-bottom prayers? Jonah says he does. You notice the words and phrases? He didn't say, on my best Sunday at church, God, listen to my prayer. No, 
in my distress, I called and God answered. When I was doing everything right, living among God's people, the Christian, no, from deep in the realm of the dead, rock bottom on his back, he calls out to God and God listens to his cry. You know what I love so much about that verse is the fact that it comes right after we meet this guy who was so bad. When Jonah cries out to God, it's not, you know, 10 years after he ran away from the call of God when he had a chance to do things right and learn from his mistakes. No, he is like at the bottom of his behavior and in that desperate moment, he calls out and God still listens to him. I mean, you parents, can you imagine your kids rebelling, rolling their eyes, throwing a tantrum, Punching you in the face. <laughs> All the things the kids do and they're really, really angry. And then like 30 seconds later, they say, uh, Dad, can I have some money? <laughs> You'd be like, what? You? No, no, you cannot have any money. But that's exactly what Jonah did. He was running. He was rebelling. He was throwing his spiritual tantrum. And then suddenly, this desperate time of need, instead of God putting his hands on his hips, saying, you, you kidding me, kid? He calls. And God, with incredible grace, he listens. He doesn't just listen. He answers his cry. Some of you have never heard this, but the God of the Bible is a God of grace. The word grace means undeserved love. Most spiritual systems in the world teach like there's these scales and if you do bad, you better balance it out with good and then maybe God will listen to you or your karma is kind of messed up so you got to do enough good things to fix that and maybe God will accept you. But the Bible is this incredible message of grace and undeserved and unconditional love that even though we've messed, even though the scales are tipped and the karma is corrupt, we call out to God when we need him. And in shocking mercy, he answers us. In fact, that idea was so profound to Jonah, he breaks out in this really poetic section from verses 3 through 7. Listen to Jonah. He says, God, you hurled me into the depths into the very heart of the seas and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But, I love that word, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Isn't so great? Um, Jonah's desperate and he's helpless. He poetically says, to the roots of the mountains, like I was as low as I could go. Seaweed is wrapped around his head. I mean, there's water in every direction. He can't make it before he's about to drown. All he can do is call out to God, And God, despite his sin and rebellion, listens. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. Have you ever seen the movies where someone who doesn't have a great relationship with God kind of looks up to the sky and says, God, if you're out there, and they feel so distant from a relationship with him. But Jonah says prayers like that, when we remember God, even though we don't deserve it, my prayer rose to you. 
there's something really cool about these words uh, beyond the message of grace and patience from God. Um, how many of you have ever read the Bible cover to cover? Where are my Bible experts at? Oh, all right, about 5% of you. That's pretty awesome. Um, I, I wonder if even you who have read that much of the Bible know what just happened in those verses. Did you know that in Jonah chapter 2, verses 3 to 7, this poetic description, Jonah was not being original? Any of you know that? Almost every single line that he prays is a quote from the book of Psalms. Uh, Jonah's prayer is basically a mashup, uh, a sampling of Psalm 30, Psalm 42, Psalm 5, Psalm 103, Psalm 18, and Psalm 107. When Jonah's in this desperate spot, when he didn't know what else to do, he prayed the Bible. It was in him, and in that moment, he came out of him. Now, to me, that, that's so profound because when I do counseling, uh, when you're going through a desperate situation, I find myself almost instinctively turning to the book of Psalms. Uh, but whether you're new to the Bible or you've read it cover to cover, Psalms, which is right in the middle, is one of the best spots to go when emotions are high. Are you afraid? Are you anxious? Are you depressed? Are you happy? Are you grateful? Are you worshipful? Do you feel guilty? Do you feel ashamed? Are people coming after you? Did you mess up? I, Almost always, the Psalms are the spot that's going to connect with your heart. So I want to give you some good advice that Jonah himself took. When you're just in one of those spots where you don't know what to do, and you're grabbing a Bible, just looking for some word from God, stop in the middle, start reading the Psalms, and I can almost guarantee within 10 minutes, you're going to find something uh, that speaks right to your heart. And here's the AP. Who, who came to church today hoping to get some homework before they left? All right, thank you very much. All right, here's the homework for you and anyone else who's <laughs> going to jump on board. Um, remember, Jonah did not have a Bible in his pocket, right? He, he's praying this from inside the fish. He didn't pull out his iPhone and find the Bible app. There wasn't a scroll in the back of his robe. How, how did he know all these quotes from the Psalms? They were within him. Right? And so I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge a lot of you. Find a Psalm that connects with your situation. You don't have to memorize the whole thing, just a snippet. And put it into your heart. Memorize it. Save it as your screensaver. Write it on a note card. Stick it with a sticky note on the bathroom mirror. Memorize it. So when you're in a rock bottom moment, a desperate situation, you don't have to wait until you find a Bible to find God because God will be in you through his word. Or there's immense power. Uh, the New Testament calls it like your shield and your sword to fight spiritual battles when the word of God is deep within your heart. So, if you're watching at home, here's some homework to you. Just Google Psalms about anger, Psalms about hope, Psalms about anxiety, Psalms about guilt. Find a snippet, even a half a verse. Put it deep inside of your heart so just like Jonah, you can remember that there is a God who hears, a God who listens, and a God who saves. That's what she found out. Uh, there's this multi-page letter I keep in a drawer in my office, really special to me. Um, I can't tell you the name of the woman who wrote it. I can't give away too many of her details, but this is a woman who hit bottom. A traumatic childhood, pregnant at 14, loses a baby, turns to crack and heroin to cope, throws away a decade of her life in the darkness of addictions, starts to get sober, is accused of a crime that turns out to be false, 
the courts get involved, legal situation falling apart, relapses into old ways, and in an act of pure vengeance to the one who accuses her, gets behind a car, blacks out, smashes into the person, ends up in prison, where she writes me this letter. Um, It's COVID season. There's no church services in her prison. Pastors can't come and visit. She's got a Bible. And then she discovers this. uh, A ministry that communicates through a camera lens. And she remembers the sermon. Actually, the guy who's drumming today, he was part of it. Where we talked about our sins being like stones. Like they wound the heart of God. And after we sin against God, here's the stone that he could pick up and throw back at us in justice and vengeance. But God, because of his son, Jesus Christ, chooses to leave the stone alone. He forgives. And there she is watching in her cell, hearing that when it's bad, when when you've messed up in profound ways, when you've thrown a boulder at the heart of a good God, he's actually so good, he leaves it alone. He forgives. Uh, There's a lot of parts of this letter that I love, but one of my favorite lines is when she said, thank you, thank you for helping me run to God. Uh, You might not be in a prison today, but the same thing is true. If if it's bad, if it's embarrassing, if you think you've got to clean it up first and get everything right before you can run to him, cry out to him, pray to him, the book of Jonah says you do not. Now, if God was waiting for you to balance the scales, you would have to, but he is not that kind of God. He's a God of unconditional love and because of his son, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, you can go today. You can go a second after you relapse. You can go a minute after you get into that argument and say things that you regret, even before it's better. Even while you still feel that low, you can call to God like Jonah did and he will answer. And honestly, if if that's where the chapter ended, I'd be like, epic chapter, Jonah, well done. (laughs) Totally redeemed yourself. But actually, the best part's still to come. Here's the last recorded words that Jonah prayed from inside the fish. Verse 8 of Jonah chapter 2. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. I wish I had like 42 more minutes to preach just on those two verses. There's so much there. Um, I I don't have that much time, do I? Okay, I'll I'll keep it fast. Uh, What Jonah's saying is profound. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. There's always the spiritual battle that you and I face. There's something, which is called a worthless idol. It's something temporary. It might be something bad. It might just be something good that doesn't last forever that some people cling to. Maybe you know someone like that. I mean, you want them to follow Jesus. You want them to know God's love. You want them to come to church and be interested in the Bible. But they're, they're clinging to something else. They're, they're too busy for that. They're too infatuated with their own beliefs or opinions to listen to Jesus. And God loves such people. God loves all people. But but if someone clings, it's what the Bible would call a lack of repentance or living in sin. If you hold on to it and won't let it go, you can't hold on to Jesus at the same time. Jonah knows there's a lot of people back then and still today who cling to things that just won't last. 
Sometimes it's not bad. It might be a relationship or a career or sports or hobbies. But if you won't let it go for the sake of something better, what happens? You turn away from the eternal, never-ending love that God has for you. And we'll talk more about that next week. For this week, notice Jonah. But, contrast, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you, God. So, so Jonah is willing to sacrifice. He's willing to let go of whatever this thing could give him. And if you notice his wording and his emotion, he's not saying, well, fine, God says I shouldn't do this because it's bad. I guess I'll be a Bible guy. Now, you catch his emotion? But I, with shouts of grateful praise, he's jacked up. He's excited about it. The founding pastor of our church used to say, all this that we're doing, the worship, the songs, the Bible, it's not a have to, it's a get to. We're not here because we have to be here. I don't want to be, but God says I should come to church. I'll come to church, right? Some people have those religious experiences. Not Jonah. He says, no, I'm grateful. I'm praising God. I'm, I'm shouting. I'm not mumbling when I'm in his house. And he tells us the reason why. Right? He says, what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. When you've been saved by the Lord, when he rescues you from a really dangerous situation, it, it changes the way you feel about all this. And why would you let go of, of that? Why would you prioritize this? It, it would be a burden or an obligation unless, unless, like Jonah, you realize, but salvation has come from my God. I was in a desperate situation, but he delivered me. I was on my back, but he didn't turn his back. I broke it, but my heavenly father fixed it. I made a mess, but Jesus reached out to me in mercy. I did something godless and gross, but God's one and only son still gave me his grace. Like, I thought I was gone. I thought, why not live for today? I'm not going to make it to tomorrow with God. And yet he sent his one and only son down to give me this profound gift, his unconditional love that will never end. He's promised me a future where there's no pain and no suffering and no battles and no arguments and no fighting and no wondering how it's going to turn out. He's given me everything through Jesus. So you do you if you want. You, you cling to something temporary. But me, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to say my prayers. I'm going to sacrifice whatever I need to because this is a God who saved me I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Oh, and here's the coolest part. If, if I lost you, if you're zoning out right now, I need you back for 90 seconds. Give me a thumbs up if you're with me. If you're asleep, you can't give me a thumbs up. So here. The Hebrew word for salvation, that Jonah quotes here, salvation comes from the Lord. Let me show you what it looks like. Um, it's a form of this word in Hebrew. It's the word Yeshua. Can you say that with me? Yeshua. Yeshua is just the Hebrew name Joshua. So Joshua is really a Hebrew name that just means salvation or he saves. Uh, when Yeshua became a Greek name, like in the New Testament times, I'll show you what that looks like. It moved from Yeshua to this word is Jesus. You say that with me? Jesus. And Jesus became a very popular name for boys in the first century. In fact, there was this one boy from Bethlehem <laughs> whose mom had a super common name too. Her name was Mary. You know what? Yeshua, Jesus translates into in English? Yeah, I'll show you. It's Jesus. 
Um, Jonah, this is such a Holy Spirit nudge, is saying, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to sacrifice for God. I'm not living for anything but God because Yeshua comes from the Lord. Because I was at bottom and the Lord gave me Yeshua. He gave me Jesus. He gave me Jesus. Ask any Christian who knows even the basics and they would tell you this. It's not always easy to let go of the things of this life. We could be living for whatever, but we choose to. We want to. Because we look at a God who gave us Yeshua, salvation, single-handedly saved us, loved us at the bottom, gave us his grace, and it changed our hearts. Man, so if you're dragging your feet when it comes to the Christian faith, if you're not sure if you want to follow Jesus, I, I could tell you about the benefits of community and the really cool people and the awesome music and the free coffee, all super sweet. <laughs> but I would just tell you this one thing. Um, this is a faith where salvation comes not from you trying or improving or being better, but a place where salvation comes from a singular place. Salvation comes from the Lord. Here's how the chapter ends. Verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. <laughs> Don't you wish YouTube had been invented in BC times? <laughs> I would love, <laughs> I would keep my distance. He probably didn't smell so good, but I would just love to see the look on Jonah's face when he came out for his first breath. Yeah, next week when we pick things up in chapter 3, God's going to repeat the exact same call. He's going to use the exact same words. We're going to see what does Jonah do now that his heart has been changed. And what will the people of Assyria do, those wicked terrorists, when they hear a call to repentance and they hear the good news about this God of salvation? We're going to find out next week. Uh, but for this week, I just want to say what I've already said. Uh, when you're like the pastor in a dumpster, uh, when it's not just bad, but it's the worst. When you feel flat on your back and far from God, when you don't feel worthy of his mercy, please remember this. God responds to rock-bottom prayers. You are never too low for the most high God. You might be sitting in a cell. You might be sitting on your parents' couch after the separation. You might be wondering why you did it, why you said it, why you messed it all up. But when you call out in the name of Jesus, God listens, God answers, God responds. He did it for Jonah. And he's the God who will never change. He'll do it for you. Let's pray. Oh, God, I'm so, so grateful for your grace. And sometimes I wonder what would happen to a sinner like me if I was part of another religion. Uh, one where you had to earn it and deserve it and be good enough. Uh, how would I process my own past? I don't, I don't know, God. So I'm so grateful for Jesus, uh, for this faith, one that is based on salvation that's freely given from a good God and his gracious heart. Um, Lord, I, I notice people here who struggle with self-worth, who struggle with guilt, who are embarrassed and ashamed. Um, to know that you're reaching, however bad it is, however low bottom is, you're reaching all the way down like water in a container to the roots of the mountains, to the lowest of lows. You're reaching into every church basement where addicts gather. You're reaching in to every courthouse where people are being tried. You reach into the hearts that are hopeless and you give us Jesus. Uh, today we're grateful, God, not just for some good advice, but for the good news of your forgiveness. Uh, let it fill our hearts. Let it change us. 
that we would reach out to this world that's clinging to worthless and temporary things and tell them about the kind of love that lasts forever. It's in your son's name, the mighty name of Yeshua, Jesus, Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.